0: I can say without a doubt that the most advanced yoga i have ever done is raising children and i used to wrap my legs behind my head every morning before coffee my name is sarah ezrin i'm a writer yoga teacher content creator and the mom to two young boys i recently wrote the book the yoga of parenting 10 yoga-based practices to help you stay grounded connect with your kids and be kind to yourself one of the highlights of this journey has been sitting down with parents from all around the world to hear how yoga has informed their parenting. Their stories are fascinating, funny, raw, and sometimes heartbreaking. I spoke with stepparents, single parents, grandparents, and though everyone's identities and family structures are completely different, all of these parents have the same intention, to parent from a place of connection. I am honored to share these stories with all of you in this limited series podcast, The Yoga of Parenting. Welcome, everybody.
1: This is Sarah Ezrin, and I'm here with Darren Maine for this episode of The Yoga of Parenting. And Darren is an exception because he's one of the few people from the book that I have asked to come back for a second conversation, and that is because Darren is exceptional. He is a four-time author. Is it four four books? I was, like,
2: Googling all the books you've written. It might be five. I'd have to count. <laughs> oh, my gosh.
1: Okay. So, four-time author podcast host his current podcast he's had a couple different projects but right now it's living yoga a yoga and meditation teacher a mindful business coach you have a number of these specialty workshops and offerings I love your authentically gay program where you are empowering gay men through self-care practices and then of course you also do body work which is like when do you have time for anything um, but I just really appreciate you speaking of uh, taking the time to be here with me so thank you for for joining
2: thank you it's such an honor to be here and it's such an honor to be in your your book. I can't believe you want me back for more. I would have thought you'd stop taking my calls by now.
1: No, please, please, please. I like. I. I would. I want as much as I can get because what I realized was that when we had our conversation and it was like a good hour, we talked a lot about your son. And I don't know if you're comfortable with me saying his name on here, but we talked a lot about Jaden and the origin story, which is the coolest story ever, by the way. Um, and, and you know, it's amazing. And I, I write about that in the supplementary ebook that comes with the book. And then the, the book itself, you know, things, things get edited down, but I kept it somewhere. So we all have access. And I realized that we didn't really talk about you. and, Y- how you're balancing all of these things. And especially as a single dad to, you know, I know that things were, sh- were in the beginning, you did mention like how your physical asana practice shifted and, you know, now having a 12, maybe 13 year old now, is he 13, 14? How old is he now? 13, 13 my goodness. Um, so I wanted to talk to you about that evolution, about being, can I say an A-type overachiever? Am I allowed to say that?
2: because it's not the worst thing anyone's ever called me
1: takes one to know one. Um, you know, when you're like me, we have all, and it's like, it's not just working hard. It's all these passion projects. Some are quite disparate. They're all connected through this idea of yoga and mindfulness, but you know, doing the body work is obviously different than sitting down at your computer. And so your, your energy is spread out all over the place. And then to be a single dad. Um, so what I wanted to talk to you about was, balancing all of those different things, and and I'll get to a specific question, I promise, um, but just for the arc of the conversation, and how you're taking care of you while you are the main provider, I don't want to say soul, because I know you have a lot of friends and family that are helping, um, but as being the main provider for another person. So how do you do that? And if you want to have a general comment, then I have my specific question.
2: (laughs) Well, you know, the truth is, I'm not sure I Some days I do it really well, and many days I fall far short of my ideals. And as a yogi, a lot of it is, for me, about compassion, self-compassion, and recognizing that we don't, just like we don't do tree pose perfectly every time, we fall at a tree. And that's part of the benefit of tree pose, is not balancing perfectly, but falling and coming back, falling and coming back. And I feel like parenting is very much like that. It's like we have these ideals of we're going to do everything just right and be these perfect parents, and they're only going to eat kale chips for snacks and never a Dorito. And <laughs> But the truth is, parenting is hard, and something's got to give somewhere. And for me, being a yogi parent is about having forgiveness, compassion, doing my best, having certain things that are absolutely essential but recognizing he's going to watch videos and that's okay you know during the pandemic he's going to play video games it's the only way he can connect with his friends and that wasn't my ideal in the beginning and it's there now (laughs) um and but practicing that idea of like just constantly trying to do a better job but without the judgment that so many so many of us as parents fall into you know
1: So that's, you know, and and that's an example of the, the limits that you've been looser on for him and his behavior. But I assume, and I'd love to hear about you being kinder to yourself and giving yourself grace and maybe an example too of... A moment where, you know, you had to kind of loosen up where it was the equivalent of a kale chip, but perhaps on, you know, one of your dharmic paths of offerings, um, and how you had to kind of back up and be like, okay, you know, this, this less is more in this instant. Do you have a, an example that comes to mind?
2: Um, <laughs> just today, probably. <laughs> <laughs> like this morning. <laughs> yeah, um, no, I think some of it is, um, there's a saying, don't worry what you say to your kids. Worry what they see you're doing. I mean, it's a, there's a better way of phrasing it, but it's something to that effect. And I feel like when we can be messy but committed to cleaning up the messes we make, that gives our kids permission to do the same thing, right? This whole idea that you have to be the perfect parent and never get upset. So for me, it's like if I sort of lose my cool a little bit and raise my voice or I remember many, many years ago, um, I gave a talk at Sony and they gave my son a free PlayStation and, um, he thought it was amazing. And, um, so he got Fortnite and I put my credit card in so we could get a few of these V bucks or whatever. And then I got a bill from, uh, my credit card for like $600, <laughs> And I had this moment of like, just absolutely blowing my stack. It was not my most dignified parenting moment. There was that moment at which I was like, you know what? It's okay to lose your shit once in a while, as long as you clean up the mess. And to be able to go to him and say, buddy, you know, we need to talk about what you did and why that's not okay. But he didn't realize that clicking that button was going to be a a bad thing. (laughs) And I had to say, you know what? I could have responded to that better. We could have talked about it, used, you know, kinder words and all of that. But the truth is we all have those moments where we sort of lose it and it's okay. You know, what we need to demonstrate is not just the losing our shit part, but the humility that comes with saying, I'm sorry, and let's make it right. And what can we learn from this? So For me, again, it's about that compassion and loving kindness toward myself, but also recognizing that that's teaching him to be the same way with himself. And when he inevitably gets frustrated with whoever is in his life in the future, a partner, a coworker, and he says something out of anger or frustration, that he has the self-awareness to go back and sort of clean that up and say, "Let's, let's make this right, you know? No.
1: So when he was first born and, or in, and he first came into your life, and he came into your life, at, was it was at how many weeks or how many days?
2: He was 16 months old, but he was 16. Oh, yeah. right. So he was
1: over a year. I forgot. I, yes. 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 I did know that. So he was 16 months old, but still a baby, you know, and I have my 12 month old and, you know, like my, even my three and a half year old, they, there is a, a, a different level of need than, you know, when a teenager is in your life or even, you know, preschooler or, um, young childhood, you were, Traveling the world, you were doing quite a bit as far as career. You were, you know, you had told me in the past, and correct me if I'm wrong, that you had had, you know, quite a strong asana practice. You were teaching all around San Francisco. Were you able, in that shift into becoming a father in in those early days, was it like a slamming on the brakes? Were you trying to manage all these things at the same time and then plates began to fall? How, you know, and it balanced being on that continuum, how did you start to tip yourself towards a place that was more centered and, you know, finding something that was more sustainable for you in those early, really demanding days?
2: Um, Well, for me, and my story is different than most, um, I adopted my son. And so unlike pregnancy where it's like it's nine months, give or take a few days, you know, you know about the time (laughs) frame they're going to show up, hopefully. (laughs) Um, And you can start to mentally prepare and structure your life and cancel business trips and plan for uh, maternity slash paternity leave. They handed me my son like the day my home study was done. I thought I was going to have like a year, two years of searching. And they just called me up and like, we got one. <laughs> and I'm like, what? I thought they were messing with me. So I had all of these trips booked for, you know, yo retreats and uh, guest teaching at different studios around the country. It was extensive. And I was just like, you know, what's the big deal? I'll just bring him with me. <laughs> And I did and I hired babysitters in the places I went and, but it was just so exhausting. And what I realized is that I can't do all of this. I just can't, I something has to go. So I let go of some of my yoga classes and focused on the ones that would help me support myself and my son. I decided I need to earn a living doing something other than traveling constantly. And or choose the traveling that was really meaningful. Like I continued to go to India up and in, almost up until a pandemic. My son's been with me to India like five or six times now over the years. And it became more choosing the things that both satisfied me professionally, but also sustained me financially and also allowed me to step back and say, I have a primary job now and it's not teaching yoga <laughs> much as I love teaching yoga. My primary job is being a good dad and something's got to give, you know, I'd rather make less money and do less and eventually come back to teaching more, which is sort of where I'm at now that he's, he's older, but it was, it wasn't pretty cause I didn't plan for it the way somebody who, you know, a, a a person who's pregnant or a couple that's pregnant has like, Oh, you know, we got eight more months to figure this out. I didn't even have a crib.
1: I mean, I, I It's like the, the image, didn't you say like on your way home from the hospital, you had to go and buy diapers. <laughs> yeah.
2: I think I talked about that in the book, but I remember the social workers, uh, she's like, they gave me a few diapers and she's looking at them trying to figure out what size they are. And I'm like, diapers come in sizes. And she looked at me, she said, oh, honey... Like, let's, let's go to writing. <laughs> I was going to read what to expect when you're expecting after the home study was done. Oh, my goodness.
1: But I feel like, you know, that you are a quick study. And I think, you know, from what I've seen of all the different projects and just, you know, even how you pivoted when everything went into shutdown mode, you know, during the pandemic and, you know, what you've rebuilt and built as our studio homes have, you know, crumbled and been rebuilt. I feel like you're a fast adapter. Um, I don't know if, you know, you you would agree. Or disagree, but you know, I think I assume it was probably like one of the more exciting challenges and projects that you've ever had, and and that you dove headfirst into it. You know, like you, like you do with everything else. Is that fair to say? Yeah.
2: Well, I think yoga. There's a saying, "No one gets into the same river twice." Like the river is constantly changing, and no one shows up on their yoga mat with the same body. The body you have today is different than the one yesterday, but we tend not to notice it unless you're like getting over a sickness or dealing with a new injury or you know or you become pregnant or something happens that changes your body significantly and quickly Um, and yoga teaches us to pay attention to those changes and adapt to those changes um, slowly over time and sometimes quickly sometimes expectedly sometimes unexpectedly and parenting is like this constant stream of change It's like, as soon as you figure out how to change that diaper and you can do it in your sleep and half the time you do, all of a sudden they're potty trained and you're dealing with like helping them get to school, kindergarten, or now it's like bringing him to his first dance in middle school. And, you know, so it's this constant, as soon as you figure it out, it changes again. And I think yoga, that is yoga. It is meeting the moment, whatever shows up in this moment. And when you have a kid, it's like, <laughs> guess what? <laughs> Don't get too comfortable.
1: Yeah, literally when you pick, like Jacob was a different person this morning, my baby, like, you know, when you put them down for like a nap and you pick them up two hours later. And you're like, wait a minute, you know, like, who is this person? It is. It is that constant change.
2: Yeah, and I think like many yogis try to arrange everything just so. The right music, the right lighting, the right temperature in the room, everything just right for this Zen moment. And there's nothing wrong with that. But the reality is yoga is training us to respond to when things don't go well. Right? Anyone can be Zen and at peace when everything is just perfect. But when life happens to you, that's – and I – and I think that parenting is like that. It's like they don't have tantrums when you're not late to work. I mean, yeah, <laughs> it right? depends what breakfast, <laughs> <laughs> right? They, they, they time right. all of this stuff. Like my son will get sick and stay home from school at the worst possible time. And, and so it's that constant adaptability that we, that yoga teaches us. And then this is like power lifting, <laughs> Yoga is sort of like the, the Nautilus machines <laughs> and parenting is like the power lifting for the soul.
1: I don't even know what it is. Isn't Nautilus like, what is that? Is that like Nordatrack? Is that
2: <laughs> I, I think Nautilus was a big brand in the eighties. I I'm, feel like
1: it was like an infomercial, right? Like late at night for the Nautilus machine. Was that like this thing? And then
2: I think. I think that it was like a brand. And I think their whole thing was get a n- n- Nautilus, get a Nautilus. body. Oh my body. gosh.
1: That's amazing. That's what I will be.
2: Go- I'll be Googling yeah, all that. They, they probably have like big hair and headbands and leg warmers and, it was a good time.
1: It was very good times. I'm so glad some of that fashion is coming back, but we uh, we digress. Yeah, you know, it. it it's funny because I, I used to, when I very first started teaching, you know, everything had to be exactly that, you know, I mean, my addiction is control and it comes out in all these different ways, whether it was my eating disorder past or my drug abuse history or my workaholism, you know, or now watching it kind of infuse into my parenting. And I definitely saw it as a yoga teacher in those early days of everything having to be just that down to controlling my students too. And what I realized for me was that as, as the years went on and I started to get looser because I was watching them evolve and watching them change and realizing like, Oh, it's not my job to be the mold for you. I'm simply the container. Um, it really helped me kind of loosen my control a little bit. And I think that was a really important lesson for me before going into parenting. And, and I'm wondering because, you know, Jaden is now 13. So, you know, you were at a you know, significant, that's like when I started teaching it was 15 years ago. So you had been teaching for some time when he came into your life. Did your teaching inform your parenting or did you watch your teaching evolve as he was, has been getting older? How, have those things kind of just been synchronistic? How's that been?
2: It's both. I mean, like I, I feel like <laughs> I always joke, like I, at that point it was over 20 years of practicing and teaching yoga and and gone instantly. Like I was like, so Zen and everybody's like, You're so mellow. Like it's all the yoga. Namaste. And then hand me a baby that's screaming and staying up all night. And you're like, I'm going to kill someone. <laughs> I can't imagine doing it without all those years of training. <laughs> but, um, It's also, I think the best lessons in yoga are the humbling experiences. You know, when you fart in the middle of class and everybody hears you and laughs, that is like the perfect yoga moment. And having a kid is like that, right? It's constant humility. When your kid is the one biting everybody in preschool or, you know, running off, like (laughs) or throwing a tantrum in the middle of the supermarket and you think you're the only one and and you're mortified and embarrassed and I right like it's this constant exercise in saying check yourself, that ego you have, that those control issues. If you have if you're O C D or have control (laughs) issues, good luck with parenting because they have no respect for that. And that's a good thing. Right there's um, in the Matrix, the Oracle is talking about the architect, and she's like, "He's just trying to balance the spreadsheet. That's what he does. He just balances the equation." And Neo says, "What do you do?" And she says, "I unbalance it." (laughs) And I feel like as parents, we're always trying to get things in order, and kids, their job—it's not a bug; it's a feature—is to knock everything over, to throw you off balance, to challenge you, and that's where the growth happens.
1: Yeah, I mean it's all it's so interesting that a lot of like what we I, and I don't know which lineages of yoga you were trained under, but mine was mostly under the Patanjali lens, you know, as opposed to tantric philosophy was so much of that was austerity. And, you know, we thought it was, you know, don't have a family focus solely on your practice, but really when you, there are these other lineages and and especially in in the tantric lineage where parenting is the ultimate path because of those reasons, you know, it is one of the, the householder stage is, you know, it's, it's almost essential because yes, you can go from studentship to sannyasa. You can go from a student directly into the wise, you know, man and in the, in the or woman, excuse me, or anybody, um, any person uh, out in, you know, in the garden. But you, but most, most people, whatever, would go through that, that transition of student into householder, which then feeds you into those more wisdom phases. And, and it's like, we need those experiences to get to the other side of that final release and liberation.
2: Yeah, there's a, a story about three yogis sitting in a cave and there's a noise, out, they're med- trying to meditate and on the first day, there's a noise outside the cave and um, the first one says, what, I think that was a squirrel and, and then the next day, the second one says, you know, I think it was a mouse and the third day, um, the third yogi says, would you two stop arguing, I'm trying to meditate <laughs> and it's, it's that idea that you can't escape the, the the body you live in, the world you live in. I mean, it's Buddhism 101, that life is suffering and it, it's struggle, it's difficult. And the sooner you embrace that, we can pretend away. I mean, the passive-aggressive namaste is like sort of the mantra of modern yogis. Like, it's all good, namaste. And we have this soft-spoken tone and everything. But then things get difficult and we lose our shit the the goal of yoga is i i think more that tantric approach of everything is your yoga mat is not the thing you do yoga on it is life it is wherever you put your feet and when you're parenting or any number of other lived experiences they're painful and hard and difficult and they kick your ass and they humble you and that's your yoga you know Yeah,
1: and I want to get back to the teaching question because I'm just curious too about, you know, how you're teaching and your parenting kind of, and maybe that was the answer is how they were all kind of feeding into each other. But really quickly, something that came to mind too is that we work so hard to, and and we not being you and I, but there is this toxic positivity movement and this whole, especially in the wellness world, especially in the yoga world of like, you know, brushing the suffering under the rug that we should always be choosing joy. And what happens is, is that we actually end up dulling all of the negative, exper- negative experiences and dulling all the challenging experiences. I made air quotes for those of you listening because there's no such thing, right? All the more challenging experiences we are actually dulling the joyous moments as well. And that really, it it is about, it's that back to that balance and that toggle. It's about, you know, can we be aware and present in in all of those moments?
2: I think for me, to answer your question and to tie into what you were just saying, my teaching used to be about giving people, it wasn't that it was inauthentic. I, I, I don't want to say that, but it was all about the joy, the feel good, the hug. <laughs> um, and now I sort of, my teaching has shifted more to direct people into their suffering with compassion and loving kindness. Like, look here, right? If, if, if you're, a part of your body hurts, if you cut your finger, you don't look the other way and pretend you're not bleeding, <laughs> right? You look at it and you, like the mother that kisses the boo-boo better, you pour loving kindness and compassion into it. So healing can occur, but you don't do that by pretending it's not there. And, and I think as yoga teachers, we we're in many ways, like what I've tried to do as a parent is hold space, not take away my son's struggles, but hold space as he gets those boo-boos and somebody teases him at school or whatever it is. He's struggling with something at school or, um, to hold space and compassion, to hear him, to pour loving kindness and compassion, but keep him present to it because that's where he grows and learns. And that is exactly what we do as teachers. A good teacher doesn't blow sunshine up your ass, right? They, they hold space. They say... It's okay that you're sort of a mess right now, that you're crying, The tears will eventually stop, and then there'll be laughter, and then there'll be more tears, and it's cyclical. (laughs) Just make peace with it. And I'll be here to sort of hold your hand and kiss your boo-boos. That's all I can do. I can't take your pain away, and, you know, pretending it away isn't helping you. It's keeping you stuck.
1: And it makes me think, and obviously this is a different podcast and maybe this is a podcast you do (laughs) later, but I do think there sometimes are teachers where it's going the other way, where it really is sitting in the suffering and, you know, maybe that is a part of the ego of, you know, I can heal you, but where people are, you know, it's almost like, you know, that becomes the badge that becomes the only lens through which we see things um, and really trying to find that balance. I mean, you know, you've got, you've witnessed the yoga world and all these different iterations alongside your evolution as a father too. And this evolution, I mean, even just in the last three and a half years, uh, since the beginning of the pandemic and, you know, the, how everything has changed. So I'm just curious now, you know, where are you seeing the bigger arc of yoga going for you? Uh, as far as what your teachings are offering and how is that, you know, what is your parenting? Again, I, I'm always so curious, like, which which leads to the next, right? Is it the chicken and the egg? But um, are these two things happening simultaneously? Is it all like, are you just now into this new phase? Because you seem to be having a lot going on right now, more so than you did a few years ago. Um, but yeah, I'm just, I'm curious how it's all synchronizing.
2: Well, a lot of it was like uh, the pandemic and then having a small, smaller child. And now he's 13 and I don't need childcare. And I, like, I have more space in my head and in my life and not that it's not challenging. It's just a different kind of challenge. Um, but I think you, where I see yoga going, and I want to be very careful here because I think that some of the stuff we're doing in the yoga world is really good and important. And I'm thinking stuff like trauma-informed yoga. I think it's super, super important. But we also have to be super careful that we don't um, label somebody and then that becomes just part of their ego narrative. The whole point of doing something like trauma-informed yoga is that they can heal that trauma, not get stuck in it. Um, and i can i see a little of that happening um and working with my son without going into too much detail because that's sort of his story he had a very traumatic start to life extremely traumatic um both in utero and then in in, in the foster system and he doesn't have a, a memory of that per se but it has affected him and i've had to find that balance of Honoring that this is part of his lived experience, it will be part of him. It it shaped him for better or worse into who he is. You know, it happened. We can't pretend it away. It, it is there. But also recognizing that that never has to limit him. That he can not. He can heal it so that that trauma, that pain, becomes a catalyst for something greater down the road. And our, each of our yoga students is like that. Each of us as yogis is like that. We can get stuck in the trauma and say, this is why I'll always be a mess, because I had these horrible things happen to me. Or we can pretend it away and be all namaste and sunshine and unicorns. <laughs> the middle path of yoga is that path of sitting with and learning from that pain, but not letting it get so sticky that it becomes part of our identity. <laughs> And it's a tough needle to thread. And I think parents need to do that in a big way. And yoga teachers do as well. And that's sort of my focus right now. is like that, looking with compassion and loving kindness, but also seeing beyond it. Like when you're watching your kid learn to walk and they're falling a lot, and you see a future where they're on the track team, <laughs> they're seeing a future where I might make it to the coffee table.
1: Yeah, I mean, what kept coming to mind is this image of the earth and either it being this like hole that we can kind of climb into and allow ourselves to be buried under, you know, that identity or whatever those roles are versus letting it be fertile soil through which we can plant seeds and grow from, you know, or the other side, the toxic positivity side is like almost like putting like a house over it and just, you know, a pretty house over it. And um, so it's like how we, how we utilize those things. Um, and, and and I think social media is, you know, as, as fabulous as it is, uh, there are different Dangers to that, and a lot of that is the therapy talk, t o k, you know, uh, side of things, and everybody, everybody kind of labeling themselves as different things. You know, I mean, I, I have have had mental illness um, my entire life. I have generalized anxiety disorder. I've had both big T and little T trauma um but i think sometimes the danger of those formats and especially it is coming from the wellness community is that people are labeling themselves perhaps correctly perhaps not um and you know how do you it's it's such a fine line as as a senior teacher for you like how do you hold the space to acknowledge people to acknowledge different people's experiences to also encourage them that maybe, you know, you need kind of the next step of guidance as well that other like auxiliary support or, you know, do you ever find it your place to be like, OK, I think, you know, you're too far in that mud. You need to dial it back a little bit. Like, where do you and I, I mean, I kind of feel like I, I would know where your answer is just in the fact that you say you share yoga and don't teach it. I think that's that kind of answers us right there, you know, and holding the space. But I'm just curious your lived experience in classes, especially with trauma being such a buzzword these
2: days. Yeah, well, I think like you mentioned, mental illness, and we we want full a compassionate awareness, but that isn't doesn't necessarily mean it's an excuse not to do your work right? Everybody's given something. If somebody is mentally ill, they may always struggle with bipolar disorder or an anxiety disorder. And that just may be their thing. You know, like somebody may use a wheelchair or uh, some people may be on the autistic spectrum or whatever it is, is their thing. And that's not necessarily going away, nor should we even try to make it go away. But the question becomes, how do we live with this, learn from this, bring compassionate awareness to it. How do we care for ourselves given the conditions that we live with? But that is different. I mean, I think some people say, I'm an addict, therefore I'll always be a hot mess. I'll always screw up. I'll never succeed. Whereas I can say, I'm an addict, and I am. (laughs) Um, And I can choose what to do with that information by examining it through the lens of compassionate awareness or I can choose to go get drunk when things get stressful, or I can choose a different path. It doesn't change what I am or how, you know, this sort of thing I'm carrying through life. And I think that that's my thing. It's like, it's not about excuse making. Like we don't look at someone who's experienced trauma and say, this is your excuse to never be happy again. This is the compassionate awareness that yoga teaches us how to practice allows us to sit with that and heal from it and grow and learn from it. and it will always be there. You will always remember that traumatic experience or have have it it shaped you, it molded you and for better or worse, but now with compassion and awareness you get to sort of steer the ship, whatever that looks like. But finding that middle path is the key and it's not easy. <laughs>
1: No, I mean, and it's it's funny, you know, when I first did your interview, I don't think I knew I think I had a loose idea of which chapter I wanted to talk about. And it was just I let our story kind of go there, and it ended up being the chapter on tapas, which is very much what we're talking about, right? I mean, the literal translation is fire, but it it is that process, and it's you know, I've heard it in different ways. Some people say it's this process of transformation, but really it's the purification, right? It's getting back to the root of who you truly are through a lot. Of those more challenging experiences, so you know, and I, I like, so I assume you know, I'd love to know with your son too, especially like ha- you know, and without sharing his information, but how you're then holding the space for him too, as he's unpacking those very early years, now going into this stepping into preteen teenage years, um, and and you know, what are you doing to help? with the, again, not transformation, but let's say the return to self, you know, that is the process as they're evolving and becoming autonomous. What are some things you're doing as like a teen dad and also a trauma-informed, you know, practitioner and teacher? Um, Does that all influence each other? (laughs) just like a
2: shit show right now. Like, what are you doing? Well, I feel like, you know, for me, everything comes back to what we do on the yoga mat. It's just a metaphor for how we live life. And I feel like, Sometimes you need a yoga block or a strap to go deeper into the pose to get more from the pose, and sometimes you outgrow the need for that. You maybe you can't reach your toes and you use a strap for a while, and then all of a sudden one day you're touching your toes and great, you can put the strap to the side. Other people will use the strap their whole life, and that's fine. Uh, it, psychologically, it's called scaffolding. You know, like we we can build up support structures that help people to go deeper into themselves and, and to heal that they probably couldn't do without that scaffolding that support. And so for me, it's like recognizing that he is who he is. He's had his experiences. Some of it's genetic, some of it's his soul makeup, I suppose. Some of it is his lived experiences, the painful as well as the beautiful And my job as his his father, just as my job as a yoga teacher, is to find the appropriate levels of scaffolding so that he can continue to challenge himself, but feel supported enough that he can go deeper. Not that he's so overwhelmed by it that he gets stuck. You know, like the block can be the thing that helps you go deeper. And maybe, maybe even do it without a block someday. Right? It's not a crutch. It's not a bad thing. It's, it's, it's support that allows you to go deeper. And for him, he happens to have a unique past, and th- that will challenge him throughout his life, I'm sure. But it doesn't have to hold him back. And with the right support in place from me and from many others, he will have a glorious life.
1: I love the metaphor of the block and the props because I think there is this idea and especially with how Western yoga is portrayed that you are trying to get rid of the blocks and you are trying to get rid of the props. And, you know, one day you will be able to touch your toes, but what if that the props are what are helping you go deeper? What if it is the strap that's helping you find the length in the back? What if it is the support system? Um, So being a single dad what are his support systems? What are your support systems as well? And and how has
0: that changed over the years? Yeah.
2: Um, for me, it's community, like having friends and everybody's community is going to be different, but having community and, and people who share my values and can, and can inspire him in different ways. Like for many years, I lived with a beautiful woman named Wanda and, um, And she was sort of like Auntie Wanda. That's what he called her. And we we don't live together. She's still very much a part of his life. But there are certain things that I think her feminine energy brought to our home and his upbringing that I couldn't – it's not that I couldn't do it. I'm very nurturing. I would like – try to be anyway as a dad. But there are certain things that women bring that, you know, men struggle with and vice versa. And – um, so I think finding that, whatever that looks like for every family, it's going to be different for every kid, their needs are going to be different. Um, and for me, it was also uh, like the San Francisco schools were,
1: let's just say we all moved, but you know, no, you know, but, but yet we same thing
2: mean, but they just weren't what, I, what Jaden needed for sure. Yeah. I, uh, yeah. I I live in Berkeley, not San Francisco now, but it was so he could go to a, a better school because I knew he wasn't going to get what he needed there. And I had the ability to do that.
1: He could, if we paid for it, right? Like that's, that's the, like the, the private school if, if, you know, we, we, so it's like, it's about the resources as well. It's finding the better schools. So that's yeah.
2: Part of it. Yeah. And here's where like talking about it's an, it opens a can of worms about privilege, you know, like, With so many kids, don't have the resources to go to a private school or even have parents that have the capacity to fill out an application for a scholarship so that they can go to that school. And but to the degree that we are capable as parents, finding ways to get them the he needed a unique thing for middle school that other kids might not need. Um, And I'm so for me, that was really important. To, to help him find that. And then the, I think the final thing is just recognizing that he is Jaden. He's whatever you think. It's sort of like your book. It, your book was a watching. I got to watch little bits of your book coming into birthing your book. And, you know there was like when we did the original interview you had this vision of what it was going to look like when it was all done and i can't i lost count how, how many editorial revisions and different angles you were taking and it looks nothing in the end like what you thought it was going to look like in the beginning but i think it came out infinitely better because you were willing to sort of go with the process and and change and Allow new ideas and get input from your editor or from others that read it. And the end result was something really, truly incredible. And parenting is like that. And yoga is like that. And life, hopefully, is like that.
1: Yeah. I mean, thank you. First of all, I appreciate that. But I, you know, I see that in my kids. I see it when I hear your story. You know, I hear when when parents that have children that are older and going into middle school and the teen years, that whatever their idea was of what was going to happen and who that person was that the the who that person then becomes the child into the teenager is infinitely more exciting and you know juicy than you could have ever imagined and similarly with our own lives right like we when i look back at old goals of mine and then i see where i am now it's like you know it's it's kind of mind blowing so it is it's that that trust as well. And, um, you know, really like allowing it to unfold in front of you, uh, you know, which I, you know, but like one thing I do want to ask about, and it kind of brings me back to that very first question is that, you know, with a history of addiction, having that tendency towards the overworking and the workaholism is there an element of control in there too with you I mean like I'm an Al-Anon right I'm not sober but I'm an Al-Anon I mean that's my which is for children and family and friends of alcoholics because like I said my addiction is totally control so I'm just curious with you where you're at with your control these days and if that's something that's prevalent would you say it's it's something I'm
2: better than I used to be. I can say that. Um, I, I think so much of yoga is finding it's when we talk about hatha and the not the literal but the symbolic meaning is sun and moon, yin and yang, male and female, passive and active. Um, when we come to the yoga mat, part of it is control. It's like, where do I exert control? Where do I find alignment? Where do I tell my body? go into this posture, hold this posture, sustain this posture, tweak this posture to go deeper. And and part of it is the surrendering into the pose, right? Like when you're holding warrior one, part of it is the will that gets you there. And then the depth of the pose comes from the surrender as you drop deeper into it. And you need both. You need a certain amount of effort and control, (laughs) But you also need to know where to let go, where to relax, where to surrender. Um, And that's where you get the depth of the pose and it's where you get the depth of life. And so for me, all I can say is I'm better at it (laughs) than I once was, but I might have a little bit of work left to do. (laughs) Just a, little, just, just a teeny bit.
1: <laughs> Definitely my karmic path. But it makes me, you know, it's, I love the, explaining it on the continuum again, right? And, I, you know, it sounds very much like Abhyasa Vairagya, but also Sirasuka. Like, they're all very kind of similar principles, which is the, like, strength and the softness, right? The hard and the light and trying to find that and, and, you know, as a containers, which is really what parenting and yoga teaching is, is we are these containers is like, when is the container too tight? And when are, you know, when is it too loose and really finding that malleability throughout. So for people with histories of, you know, who like control or who have histories, um, you know, that are similar to ours. I just, it's, it's one of the harder parts of parenting, but also the most exciting because it really, for me is teaching me, you know, okay, you got to let go, Sarah. Like, this is like, Really, you know, having obviously not even close to a fourteen-year-old going to their first dance or you know getting in someone's car for the first time, but watching Jonah climb a structure that is you know incredibly high, you know, and, and watching him do it repeatedly, repeatedly. It's just, it's that continual starting to back up and let go, but still being there as a set of hands to catch him, if you know.
2: I remember when my son was learning to ride a bike, and the first time I took the training wheels off. And I was sort of running behind him, holding the seat. And there was that moment where I had to let go and trust that he was going to pedal and know that he was probably going to fall and skin his knee at some point. Maybe not that moment, but at some point, you ride your bike long enough, you fall and you scrape something or get a boo-boo or worse, right?
1: <laughs> and I felt like last week, yeah.
2: <laughs> it occurred to me in that moment of letting go knowing that he was likely going to get hurt at some point if I let go but knowing that that is my job as a parent is letting him go letting him learn how to pedal learn to find his own center and balance and it's every day is some version of that sometimes it's really big the first time he now he takes the city bus to school and I used to track him on the phone, you know, like watch everywhere he was going. And um, now I'm just like, whatever, just get yourself home. <laughs> but but it, it's <laughs> terrifying when you don't have control. But the the parents that don't find some measure of surrender with their kids, they become those helicopter parents that stifle them, and and they don't really serve the long term survival. <laughs> you know what I mean, like. And I don't know where the balance is. Every kid is different. It's not for me to tell you when you should let go of that bike seat, (laughs) when the training wheels should come off. But at some point, your control issues are going to bump up against their need to, break free from you?
1: You know, when you look at the quadrants, like when when we talk about the four different types of parenting, and, and even though we hear so many, we hear conscious parenting, and mindful parenting, and empathic parenting, and all those, that when it's really broken down into authoritarian, authoritative, permissive, and neglectful parenting, which is like those four quadrants of connection and limit setting. And so when you have very little limit setting, but a lot of connection, that's like, to almost too much surrender right that's that that is kind of the other side and a lot of those kids while they they have really good social responsibilities and you know they've got um, social relationships rather that there actually still is somewhat of a high level of anxiety because they don't have that container right and then on the other end of that obviously is if you have you know too strong of limits and too strong of control then people are feeling stifled so you're always trying to find that middle ground of what that is and I think it's always changing too you know like you know, and, and, and that you have to be willing to balance with that. And it reminds me of, of tree pose, you know, when you were talking about tree in the very beginning and that, you know, our foot is always adjusting and the willingness to put your other foot down at times, the willingness to go to a wall at times, the willingness to take your arms up and, you know, try to challenge yourself and your balance that it's all always moving. Uh, so I've been ending these with, oh, sorry. No, yeah, are you me, old me.
2: enough to remember Weebles? the toy
1: uh, yes I'm 41 so yes sort of do they like the poppets where you could like
2: pop the, the tagline was weebles wobble but they don't fall down and they, they they you couldn't knock them over it was sort of like an egg type of bottom and it it, it would rock back and forth and you could bop it around little uh, sort of action figure-y thing but it you couldn't knock it over but weebles wobble but they don't fall down and I feel like that's a perfect metaphor for like finding balance on the yoga mat, if you're not wobbling, you're not doing yoga. But if you're falling down, you're pushing yourself too far. And we don't need to judge ourselves, but like constantly say, I need to wobble, but not fall down. And then the same is true of life. Like if you're feeling totally safe and confident and nothing's being challenging you in your life, then you're probably not growing, nor is your child growing, you know. But you also don't want to push so hard that you're just kicking down doors and stuff, right? You, you want to wobble but not fall down. So I, I wanna get a I don't even know if they sell them, so they probably don't, but I would like to get a weeble um, for my for my altar.
1: <laughs> well interestingly enough, Jonah he just got one. He did, and and there's like a, Ben. My husband's uh, mom is visiting right now, and there's like a, a there. She's Russian and or Ukrainian, and there's like a spe- specific name for them that type of toy. And I guess the, in Ukraine they're usually red on the bottom. And Jonah had just one one like out of like one of those like you know machines that you see in the supermarket where you put the quarter in. Although now they're like a dollar. But so we literally were just looking and playing one of these the other day. There it was the same thing. It was the balance and and what she, the Russian word for it. Is, and we'll have to look it up later, is like Never Falls. That's the name of it. It's like yes, and I and I don't want to butcher it, but it is, it's never falls. And so it's just really interesting. I feel
2: like I want one for my little altar. Like I feel like it would be far <laughs> more meaningful to me than like a statue of Shiva or something that I have no personal connection to. I
1: mean, you know, you gotta that's that's like what it's for. It's you gotta build it and you know make it your own. Have
2: you seen the the um, the video? It's a Pixar short. And it's a, a Hindu father and his son. And the son is playing with like superhero action figures. And the father is trying to offer prayers at his little altar, his puja prayers at his altar at home.
1: And they're in like a village in India, right? Is that the, this was years ago.
2: I think it's just in their home. I'm, okay. I can't really remember, but the father keeps getting annoyed with the son because he won't be quiet playing with his toys while he's trying to pray, and then there's a point where the kid goes and he peeks in the altar and he sees these deities that sort of turn into superheroes and act out this big drama, and he sort of gets his father for the first time, and then his father sees the kid playing with these action figures and realizes, oh my God, he gets it. <laughs> it's a sweet like, little thing about a father and a son and spirituality and how we we're all sort of working through it just in our own ways, but there's not much difference between us.
1: <laughs> I love that. And you know, that they, they are our teachers, you know, we are here as, as their parents and therefore we all, we have the teaching, but really we're learning so much from our kids. We'll have to look it up and then we'll, you know, link it into the show notes after. Um, but I'm, I'm excited to look through that one up. There's a lot of really great shorts out there that are all like, you know, definite d- beautiful five minutes um, and all really deeply meaningful messages. So, I've been ending a lot of these with the same question and I know we kind of cover it throughout, but the the word that always comes to mind um, that I would love for you to share on is what's the most surprising way that your yoga has informed your parenting?
2: The most surprising way. Yeah. I think in how I, um, how I discipline my son Um, because I, and I'm not, I'm not saying I get this hundred percent of the time. Like I said, Sometimes I lose it, because <laughs> all parents do. Um, but I've tried, like when he was young, instead of having timeouts like a punishment, I would like sit him down and hold him like a reverse hug, and I'd say, as he's having a tantrum, I just need you to take five breaths, and then you can get back up. You, and And that has evolved into different things as he's gotten older. But showing him how you can be in a state of um disorder or dysregulated and you can use the techniques of yoga to come back to your center and like even at a young age when he was really little i just need you to take a few breaths i need you to use your words that's mantra yoga connecting the lower brain with the upstairs brain by using a word or a sound you know um that's what has surprised me, and it it's not like I had to really think about it. It just sort of happened, like of course, that's what you do.
1: yeah it's funny how, like it's it's so intuitive and like, aha on the other side, but then it's also, you know it's it seems so simple, but you know, it's such a process to get there and and you know, yet it was underneath that whole time it was always within
2: well I- and and moving it out of the realm of I'm punishing you for your bad behavior and more, I'm helping you to. To, to navigate your way back to the best possible version of yourself.
1: Yeah. And I think that kind of goes back to what we were saying earlier too, about the tapas and the transformation, that it's not a transformation into someone different. It's this continual return to ourself, who we are underneath and embracing all of those things, you know, to, to be the best version that we can be. Well, I'm so grateful to you for your time. I've taken a lot of your time over <laughs> the last two You years. can take as
2: much as you <laughs> uh, need. <laughs> I love chatting with you. And I love that you wrote this book. I wish it, you know, my only, my only one gripe with your book is that you didn't write it before I was a parent, because I think it would have informed me a lot as I was trying to navigate. So I hope soon to be parents or current parents will pick up a copy because I think you'll find a lot of, um, a lot of wisdom in there. None of it in my chapter, but
1: <laughs> yes, that's what I was gonna say. And are you? How do you feel that the Utkatasana picture is not in there? Do you are you relieved or are you slightly disappointed? Unattached. <laughs> <laughs> Darren sent me a text message when I was assigning everybody their their poses. I emailed you and you. I think you called me. You like literally were like, "Why is this my pose?" It was amazing, but you took it was a beautiful chair pose, and I'm I'm glad we did it. But yes, there are no images in the book anymore. But in our mind, in our our mind we have the images that i i just so appreciate you do you have any fun you know we're uh, considering this will be aired kind of summer 2023 or whenever people are listening to this do you have any projects coming up or exciting stuff you want to share with everybody and also
2: where can we find you um i am doing like you said my work is sort of changing but i really feel like um i'm trying to do more stuff that is evergreen like and and that reaches a broader audience like it used to be you had to wait for their yoga teacher to come through your town or go to a major city so I'm trying to do a lot more stuff that's online a lot more video course stuff and I'm trying to take stuff that I've done in the past and translate it and, and use these newer technologies to to just sort of reach people in a different way in a broader way so I have um a yoga philosophy 101 course that's coming out i have an online meditation course that's 6 weeks um a yoga in the 12 steps yoga for hiv all of these things all stuff i've done in the past but just sort of reimagining them with technology and, and i'm i'm having so much fun with it so 2023 is a year when a lot a lot of that is going to be released and i'm super super excited
1: and that, you know, again, like, I don't know if you, you could have envisioned that 20 years ago, right? Like when, when you, you were starting <laughs> to create these things. Yeah. Or even four years yeah. ago. And, and, and it's so cool. It's like, you know, that, that our minds create these limits and, and when we open ourselves up to what can be, it's even more extraordinary.
2: Yeah. There's, um, and then where can everybody find you? Um, Darren com, And I would, I would just leave this one of my favorite quotes. It's from the Buddhist tradition. Um, Out of the mud grows a lotus. So whatever mud you're in the middle of, however your life has fallen apart, whatever drama you're going through with your kids or your spouse or your job or the global pandemic, that's your mud. Now grow a lotus. <laughs> yeah.
1: But also, like, be mud if you need to be, right? Like, it's like, it's okay to be mud. But know that a lotus the lotus doesn't exist without eventually.
2: the mud, you know?
1: All right, love. Well, thank you. Thank you, everybody, for listening. And uh, we'll see you again very soon.
0: I hope you enjoyed this episode of The Yoga of Parenting. Everything we discussed will be found in our show notes. You can purchase a copy of The Yoga of Parenting book anywhere books are sold. And please remember to subscribe, rate, and share these episodes so we can get all this wisdom to as many parents as possible. Follow me on Instagram at Sarah Ezrin Yoga. And the original music that you heard both at the beginning and just a moment ago is by the amazing Egeman Sonley. You can follow Egge on IG at Egason, E-G-E-S-A-N. And you can find all of his amazing music on Spotify. Big thanks to Kyle Rebar for being the best producer that there ever was. And big thanks to all of you for listening.